Hey guys, Roy here, and you are listening to the Balanced Mail podcast series. Today is episode four, and it's actually a dad talk. And today, for my dad talk, I have Dr. Marco of Accordo Chiropractic. Now, Dr. Marco is a father of three. He has a four-year-old identical twin boys, Nico and Ari, and a 17-month-old daughter, Anna. If the kids and his wife, Courtney, don't keep him busy enough, he also owns his own business, Accordo Chiropractic, in Chesapeake, Virginia. He's my chiropractor, friend, and a colleague of my wife, Dr. Carly Swift, of Wave of Life Chiropractic. When he is not adjusting spines, you can find him in the CrossFit gym, buzzing around on two wheels, or with his sons, getting high in the climbing gym. I hope you enjoy. <laughs> Luckily, it's not live. No, so we can always just re-record it. All right, so I've got Dr. Marco here on the Balance Mail Podcast Dad Talk. How are we doing today, Marco? I'm doing great, man. Life is good when you've got an amazing beverage early in the morning. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, I was saying that, you know, I asked people to get like a beverage they want and all that stuff, and you chose a stout, and I was like, all right, well, it's going to be 9 o'clock in the morning, but whatever, here we are. <laughs> you can't drink all day unless you start in the morning. <laughs> and it is the summertime. Um, but we are drinking a left-hand milk stout. I figured that would be a good choice for the morning. Maybe we could have added some cereal to it. might have been better. <laughs> but uh, why, why stout so much? Well, as somebody who um, tries to be health conscious all the time, um, I do very conscientiously choose my recreational treats. And um, stouts, as far as beers go, have the most antioxidants and the most nutritional value. Also, I just I love the flavor. I love the, the, the creaminess. I love the smoothness. Um, and if I'm going to have a beer in the morning, it's definitely got to be a stout. And just to clarify, I don't drink all day <laughs> anymore. <laughs> College days long gone at this point. So here you have it, guys. If you want to be healthy, drink stouts. <laughs> yes. It's full of antioxidants. It's the cure-all. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I've, I've loved stouts, too. I've had to kind of wean myself off of them, mainly because I've had so many that I kind of got over them, I guess. I had one stout that was 17% alcohol, and that was the last one that I had. <laughs> I had uh, eight ounces of it and was a wreck for almost 48 hours. Yeah, beers are one of those things, and I think wines are too, that you kind of have seasons of enjoying different things. And I never used to be an IPA guy, but at this point in my life, I'm enjoying the hops. I think it also helps too that as we mature and get older, we realize that we'd rather have one really nice beer than like 47 of like <laughs> the the bottom shelf 30 rack stuff so um, we can just enjoy it for what it is and not for really what it does to us per se you know what I mean mm -hmm. yeah and it's like as soon as you say you want like you, you say things like that people automatically put you in that elitist category but it's like why if you're gonna drink something why not drink what you like and what you think is the best instead of that so I really I like what you said about that choosing what you want like quality over quantity i guess that's what i'm trying to say yeah and it's definitely not so much elitist as it is just um maturing and realizing what exactly it is that you like and then also in that maturity process realizing that moderation ultimately is the key to enjoying anything yeah that's true and um just so you know i told you i left you with a couple of party favors i have my favorite stout that i've ever drank called the yeti by, uh, I think it's Founders, uh, and then another one called Breakfast Stout that's also really good um, because, I mean, hey, why not, you know? It's breakfast. We're doing a breakfast podcast. Give you breakfast stout on the way home. <laughs> Super exciting. Thank you. You're welcome. So we could talk about beer forever, but let's get into why we're here, our dad talk. So, you know, I'll just go through the list. The first thing is... Uh, you know, how many kids do you have? I have three beautiful children. I've got twin boys, Nico and Ari. They are going to be five 
real soon, um, middle of this month actually, and Anna. She is almost 19 months old, and um, they are amazing. And I'm really glad that her name is Anna, because I said Anna, and I thought it was Anna for a second, and I got really nervous, but I'm really glad that I said it right. Uh, <laughs> so you have twin boys how's that it's not ball crazy at my house i will not even lie um i mean the first year of their entire life is very much a blur um it was a huge challenge courtney and i don't have courtney's my wife courtney and i don't have any family um down here in hampton roads so we were very much um alone and just really had each other and that first year was really hard i'll never forget just pounding coffees on the way home from work at six thirty, seven o'clock at night just so i would have gas in the tank for my second shift so to speak and when i would get home some nights courtney was just in tears um at her wit's end it was very hard um before we would go to bed it was i would dread going to sleep at night because i knew like every two hours i'd be up and she'd be, like, kicking me, like, telling me it's my turn. And I'm like, no, that's Ari. It's totally your turn. And she's like, no, I just did Ari. It's your turn. That's Nico. Because we would just pick one. And then that's the one we would stick with for the night. Um, but in that hardship made all of the joy that we feel now. And as every day goes by, we get more peace, more ease as they become more independent. And every victory is just that much sweeter. Nice. Yeah, I've... Uh... I've noticed that being, <clears throat> you know, a new father with a week old, it's really wild because all they know how to do when they need something is cry. And you just, it's the wildest thing. And I feel like I'm waiting for the time that he could talk already just so that, like, I can learn what he wants more. Uh, but I definitely can relate to the hardships. But I also, I think the biggest thing for me, like you're talking about sleep, it's funny because I have him and I'm on summer vacation now. So yeah, he still sleeps every two hours, but it's been joyous. So I, I don't want to say I feel your pain, but I empathize with what you were going through. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, you don't really know until you are a parent what it's like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'll always like to ask this. Um, so birth stories for your kids all three or maybe your twin boys or what was their birth story like well it's kind of hard to talk about one birth story without talking about the other because due to the situation they were so polar opposite so with the boys first of all we didn't find out we were having twins until Courtney was 26 weeks pregnant and we were all set up with midwives to have what we thought was going to be a singleton at home. Um, never did they ever, with the Doppler ultrasound, find more than one heartbeat. And it wasn't until Courtney went to get a boutique ultrasound to find out the sex of the baby, which I didn't want to know, that we found out we were having twins. And that was just like, I mean, finding out we were pregnant, first of all, was earth-shatteringly changing because we weren't really planning on that at all. Um, not never, but definitely not for the first few years of our marriage and to find out like right after we were married like hey guess what you're pregnant that was a huge shift in our design but hey if you want to make the big guy laugh just tell him your plans right <laughs> so <clears throat> we found out we were having twins so basically the midwives told us well we can't accommodate you we don't have enough midwives in the practice and you need one for each baby one for mom and one for an assistant so they were short one so long story short, we got then transferred our care to Norfolk General, which is like the multiples specialists in the area. And everything that we wanted for the boy's birth got turned upside down because we wanted this nice, peaceful, on our own terms, very natural home birth and ended up at the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So we were thrown into the hospital system which um, it's definitely got its flaws. It's amazing at a lot of things, 
but it definitely has its flaws because medicine in general is designed around tragedy intervention. But as a rule, birth is not a tragedy. It's a very normal part of life. So to approach something that is normal and natural and has a, a rhythm and a cadence to it that ultimately in many ways is beyond our control and to try and control every nuance of that with a tragedy intervention mindset, it's just not what we wanted to do. Now, that being said, um, the doctors and the nurses there provided excellent medical care. They did a good job. We have two healthy boys, and I couldn't be happier, but the story was we went from wanting to have a very natural vaginal birth, and we really still tried, even though Courtney was having twins, to do that. But with shift changes at the hospital and stuff like that, there was one OB that was willing to try to do the, the vaginal birth if they were both head down. She was about to get off of her shift. A new doctor was coming on. He was not about the, the natural birth whatsoever with, with twins and wanted to go right to the C-section. It was a battle, man. The whole, the whole and I hate to have approached it that way, but I kind of like felt like I needed to protect my freaking cave, mm -hmm. you know? At, at the, ultimately, at the end of the day, that's the job of the man. Um, inner birth and it's one one thing that we don't really get a lot of we go to birth classes and stuff and it's really focused around mom and baby and that's excellent because they do the majority of the work but there's really then no place for for the man in that story except for like you know putting a damp towel over mom's shoulders and like touching her <laughs> it's like well what do I really do here but ultimately what dad needs to do in that situation is protect the cave so I did that to the best of my ability when the boys were born and we had a lot of arguments just because philosophically we were coming at this at two very different spectrums we had the neonatologist with his point of view you know all the nurses with their point of view the ob with her point of view and then me and courtney um trying to do what was right in terms of what we thought for our children um and then juxtaposed to anna's birth and holy cow what a difference so we conceived Anna under very different circumstances. We were very open to her coming into our lives and did the home birth thing that we had envisioned for the boys the whole time, and it really couldn't have been more different. Allowing Courtney to labor in our house, in her bedroom, in her safe space, with the excellent care that Seven Cities Midwifery provided to her was amazing. And then witnessing especially in those final moments of transition from active labor to then pushing it was the most profound thing I've ever been a part of I was fighting back tears the entire time not because I was scared but because I was so incredibly proud of my wife and just standing there in awe of such raw power and devotion and love I will never forget the way that that felt you know the closest thing that I've ever done to what Courtney did that day and it still pairs pales in comparison I'm not trying to say it's equitable at all but the closest thing that I can even think of that compares to what she did that day was climbing a mountain on traditional climbing gear because of that that fear, that anticipation, not knowing what was going to happen, pushing through that adversity, all of those mental doubts, um, and then watching her finally, in those last moments, birth our baby girl. I've never loved her more. And being a part of that with her has made our marriage stronger than I ever thought it could even be. Wow. Um First off, thank you for sharing that. I know that, uh, you know, we're, we're doing something, sharing, you're sharing a part of your life, and it's going to go out there to the world. And that's really cool that you did that, first off. Um, real quick, shout out to Seven C Cities Midwifery, because that's who <laughs> my wife and I went through, and they are amazing, Terry and Jen, and oh my gosh, I'm blanking on their assistant, Sydney, Sydney, yes, Sydney. <laughs> but um, I want to touch on a couple things real quick. Um, I was talking with my friend yesterday about how people view birth and birth stories. And there's this, I don't know if it's 
people get like, you know, when it comes to natural births, people almost, I've noticed they view hospital births as less than. And I was thinking how crazy that is to me because no matter what happens, however the baby comes, the baby's here. And did you feel that or experience that from people like when you walked up and they were like oh I did a home birth I did this oh you had to go to the hospital I'm sorry or stuff like that did you did you experience any of that I think it really depends on what kind of circles you travel in you know in very allopathic circles you mentioned home birth like for example you know my cousins God bless them they have many many children healthy happy they're fantastic parents I love them However, we mentioned home birth, and they thought that we were nuts. But then, yes, yeah, you get that like, a lot. You're like, <laughs> what do you mean? Do you want you do you want your 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 wife and your baby to die a horrible, gruesome death? But then you travel in like very, I guess, crunchy circles. Let's just use that word. I don't really know how else to describe it. So you travel in very crunchy circles, and then yes, the hospital birth is very less than. Each of those viewpoints stem from a desire for mom and baby to have the best opportunity to be as healthy as possible and to express their future life in the fullest. So ultimately, we all see the world as we are, not really as it is. Mm -hmm. So you're really just going to kind of <laughs> get the viewpoint from the, the people that you hang out with. So, I mean, I have my own opinions, and I'm sure everybody else does. I think the one take home then is um, really to just before you inject your opinion because birth is a very sensitive thing and the last thing anybody needs is some horror story or you projecting your opinions when it doesn't really isn't really congruent with that other person's is to find out where they're at mm -hmm. and then honor that person's choice whatever it is because we really just need each other we need each other's support for the best betterment and um, I guess the continuation of the species and mm -hmm. how we want to do it there are some people that are only going to feel safe giving birth in a hospital and let's honor that choice for that person whereas there are other people that would really rather just be in a field all by themselves and we got to honor that person's choice too so it's not really about like the right way um, it's about there's many ways mm -hmm. and for each individual there's a right way yeah and I feel the more that we do that talk to each other that way the more connected we'll get the more supported moms and dads will feel because the end of the day no matter how it happened if there's a baby in your arms at the end of it that's an amazing thing no matter the path no matter how it worked out and I think that I would hate for because I had a home birth that people think that their birth is any less than we didn't do that for any other reason like you're like you said it's just that's what we wanted and that's what we wanted for our kids and you just hear it, it's you know, less talking or more talking less judgment on this um and then second to circle back to something else you were talking about how um there was nothing for you as a man to do Per se like you didn't feel like it was like what your role was was maybe cloudy or foggy because um, I know I experienced that because when, when we go through these birth classes you know it's all centered on the mom which by the way is how it should be <laughs> it's their body everything's changing for them but I never really felt like there was a lot of like hey dad how are you doing or hey dad this is what you could be doing there was a little bit with like during the birth, but there I, I felt little support and maybe that's a cultural thing and an American thing because, you know, my dad sat in the waiting room while my mom <clears throat> gave birth to me. Yeah. And so if you could just expand on that a little bit. There doesn't need to be any support whatsoever for dad during the birth mm -hmm. that's not what needs to happen what what dad needs and what men need in general is we need a mission mm -hmm. 
we didn't know what the heck to do with our hands because I don't know about everybody here that's going to be listening. I don't know about you, Roy, but like if I don't have a mission, if I don't know what the heck I need to be doing, then I feel less than. Mm -hmm. But if I have a directive, if I have a mission, if I know what I need to be doing as a man, gosh darn it, it's going to get done and it's going to get done really well, Mm -hmm. efficiently, fast. And where the support needs to come from is other men. We've got no man, dad, um, even conversation about what we need to be doing. I don't want to get into like gender roles and all that kind of stuff and like what we got to be doing like as a society. But like if you are the man in a relationship during birth, you've got a job. And at the end of the day, it's not clear for everybody what that job needs to be. Luckily, I think I find I found my purpose um, through the experience with the boys because there was just nobody else to do that job, and it, I knew it needed to be me. And then when it came to the home birth with Anna and Courtney, I knew what my job needed to be at that point too. And there was a point when... Courtney was saying that she really didn't think she could do it anymore. And part of protecting the cave as a man is knowing your wife, knowing your woman, and knowing is she really done or can she really finish that climb. And I looked at Courtney and I knew she wasn't done because the midwives pulled me aside and they're like, all right, it's been a long-ass time. Um, She's saying she's done. Is she really done? And I really had to sit there and think about it because I didn't want to project my own personal ideas about how I would handle it in that situation. I really had to look at my wife and, and really figure out, like, is she just saying that she's done? Because there were moments when I was climbing that I thought I was done. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get from this place to that next place two feet above me because I, don't, I, I can't see a way that's going to happen. But in that situation, just kind of calming down, settling down, and realizing, you know, there is a way down, but it's not the easy way. And the best course of action is just to finish the thing out. So I looked at her, and I told midwives, like, no, because I knew that she wasn't done. I knew. And so that was when protecting the cave came to holding my wife's hand and reassuring her that I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that she could do it. Dang, that's awesome. Um, Thank you for sharing that, because you saw us a few days before the birth, and you told me the exact same thing. You stopped me, and you were like, there's going to be a point when she's going to feel like she can't do it, and you just got to look at her and and tell her that she can, and that was probably the best thing someone could have told me because there did come a moment just like with your wife and my wife that she I could see it and she could feel it and she just didn't know that she could do it but I just said no nah, babe you got this you got this and then we all rallied around her and it was such a cool moment to experience that and to I mean it's always cool to watch somebody go past what they think their limits are and push through and do something that they thought they couldn't do. And one, to have my wife doing that was, I mean, you never forget that. And that's cool that that you were able to do that for her. And in you doing that and telling me that, I was able to do that. And so it's just a powerful thing. And it's cool. And I I really like that you said that men, we don't know how to talk to each other. We almost don't even know how to support each other, you know, unless we're doing something silly. I always think it's, it's like men always need to throw a ball around, and that's, that's all we know what to do. It's like we can't just sit and just talk or something, and not like, not like hold hands and be all, you know, ooey-gooey, but, you know, there's, you always have to have something you're doing. But we just, we don't know, it's almost like we don't know how to support each other. We don't know how to talk, and... I'm glad that you were able to share that too, because I've I've thought that for a long time. Um, but yeah, let's keep this train rolling. 
Um, I think we might have talked about the hardest or scariest thing you witnessed, but um, what was was that the hardest thing for you? Well, for each of those stories, the hard their hardest parts were different. Um, with the boy's birth, you know, the the medical system like their experience and confidence and their procedures is very reassuring. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't really any part of the C-section where I was like terrified. Um, because, you know, they got it and that's kind of what their business is, you know, to got it. Mm-hmm. However, after the boys were born, I was Ari had to go to the NICU because he wasn't putting on weight or, you know, whatever the story was. So Ari's in the NICU. And I'm changing Nico's diaper. And luckily, the nurse was in there at that time. But I'm, like, looking at him. And his lips started turning blue. And then his face started turning blue. And I was like, holy shit. Luckily, I've had combat medic training. I was a medic in the Army for six years. So um, I think anybody would know that baby turning blue is bad. But, like, I noticed it. And I knew what it meant. It, you know, baby was hypoxic from, for whatever reason. He either wasn't getting enough oxygen and was b- breathing, or B, just wasn't breathing, period. But my baby's turning blue in my hands. And I go to the nurse. I'm like, he's turning blue. He's not breathing. So nurse puts him on the cart, rushes him to the NICU. Luckily, by the time he got there, um, he was breathing and fine again. And apparently Ari had gone through a very similar situation almost at the exact same time, but we were just in different areas of the hospital. That was the scariest point. They just feel so fragile. They just feel so fragile. And I'll never forget just sleeping like with my fingers on their chest just to make sure that they were breathing for the first like three nights in a row, just like not even sleeping, just like looking at them because they're just, they seem so fragile. And with Anna, it was a very different scary point. Right before Anna was born, um, she got stuck in the birth canal because her arm was like through the passageway along with her head. And the midwives were very calm the entire time until that moment. And Jen looks at Courtney and she goes, you need to birth this baby now. And I was like, Holy shit, because I could hear it in her voice that it was like emergency time. Excuse me. (coughs) I could hear it in her voice that it was like emergency time. And so she had me like scoop Courtney up and put her in this like Captain Morgan pose. So like Courtney's standing. I'm standing behind her. I've got Courtney's leg hoisted in my right arm. I'm holding up her body with my left, and they're just telling her to push. And Courtney pushed with all her might to finally birth Anna. Ultimately ended up with... A huge tear that Courtney then needed to be um, hospitalized for to then repair but Courtney did it and Anna was born and is totally healthy and she was like ginormous first of all (laughs) (laughs) and second of all just like totally alert right after the birth and um, it was an amazing experience but that was that was scary man thank you for sharing that when you were in that, did you feel like like uh, things inside you innately just started snapping or clicking like, okay, we need to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to be there. And you just, I don't know, almost like you felt like your body was doing things quicker than your mind was, maybe? Yeah, I, ult- I, um, I, equi- I kind of call that like the ultimate presence. Like you're just totally present. You're not in your head at all. You are present. And it happens like on the battlefield in like a triage triage situation where you've got like more casualties than you can really address at that time. And then you got to figure out who gets seen first, who gets sadly um, put off to later and what needs to happen immediately now. It's like emergency mode, you know, any kind of a crisis. Um, And the degree to which you can – prepare for those things helps you be more present sometimes people's most highest level of expression of that presence that they can possibly achieve is just standing there frozen watching it's not because they're stupid or trying to do the wrong thing they just don't know what to do Mm -hmm. um so having good clear direction from the people that are supporting you through that process that have been through it before and just doing what they say at that point if you don't know what to do 
then it's all you can do. But mm-hmm. yeah, I felt that ultimate presence. Felt like I was in the army again. Wow. And eventually, ultimately, I enjoy that. That's why I climb. That's mm-hmm. why I get up in really, really high places precariously, um, suspended by ropes and equipment, because I crave that ultimate presence. It's also why I ride motorcycles, um, because I, I crave that. I crave that getting out of my head and just being here. And that was <laughs> the, the highest expression of that <laughs> that I'll probably ever be a part of. Yeah, I think uh, I think being a dad, you you get that ultimate presence. It's like the first time I changed the diaper. I know it's 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 silly to think about in comparison to what we we just were talking about. But I remember like his first, the merconium mm-hmm. diaper, and she was like, he pooped, and I run upstairs, and I did it, and then it was done. And I remember thinking like, oh. I just changed the diaper like it was like something clicked in me and I didn't even think about it it was just it was there and I did it and it was over and I moved on but it's really f- cool to to feel that and to witness that sort of innate presence happening as a dad in these moments and it's like maybe I'm we're doing what we're supposed to be doing the whole time <laughs> um did your parents ever tell you your birth story yeah, my mom was in labor with me for a long, long, long time. And her water broke, and I was just chilling in there for a long time. Um, and then finally they were like, all right, um, we're going to section you, Kathy. Kathy's my mom's name. Kathy, we're going to do a C-section. And it was vanity that saved me from a C-section. <laughs> and my mom was like <laughs> talking to me, you know, and she's like, listen, Marco. I do not want a C-section scar. You are coming out of this tummy. I have been so conscientious about the vitamin E, the moisturizer. I have no stretch marks whatsoever. <laughs> and so <laughs> finally I was, I was birthed um, at the hospital. And um, my, the, big, the, fun, the fun story is that everybody says I looked like Yoda when I came mm. out with this general Miss Conehead because I spent so much time in the birth canal and I was all dehydrated and wrinkled and yeah, that's my that's my story. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my mom labored with me for a long time too. She always tells me, "I showed up on Monday and you popped out on Wednesday." <laughs> and I was I was like, I think she said I was minutes away from being a C-section baby. But uh, y'all never forget. My dad always tells would always tell me that uh, he was just sitting in the waiting room watching the show Saint Elsewhere. <laughs> and you know just chilling for hours and hours and hours um so that's funny vanity saved you <laughs> um what's your dad like my father is um he's a really hard working guy but below all of that is a very playful goofball that loves life and ultimately loves his children more than anything. Um, and one of the things that I always remember now, at the time it didn't really strike me as, as profound as it is now, but he always let me drive. And I mean that metaphorically, in that um, he let me drive things. Like if we had a household project um, and I was you know, old enough to help him, then he always allowed me to experiment to to try things to try new processes and procedures and ultimately um, I think the thing that helped shape me the most was he really let me F up a lot mm. in a lot of big things too um, which helped me be who I am today and if there was one thing that he did that I want to incorporate with the boys is I really want to let them drive Nobody wants to be driven around. Everybody wants to be behind the steering wheel. I really want to do that for the boys. I want them to naturally come into things that they love. I want them to be passionate about things, and they're not going to do that if I'm taking them through the motions. Mm. Um, And the other thing that he did that I'll never forget that was probably most impressionable on me is he played with me. Like, we built Lego forts together. We wrestled a lot. We play-acted together. We fought with swords and stuff like that. And um, I always knew that 
if fatherhood was in my future that I was going to play with my kids. Man. That's awesome, man. I, I, I've gotten to witness you do that, and that's cool to see. Um, even hearing stories, you know, I think having sons, you know, there's this element of play that is going to go with you throughout your, you know, throughout your life. I know, see, I have two brothers and we were just a household of brothers and my dad always played with us, always would throw us in the air. Um, and that's cool to hear you talk about him letting you drive. You know, we try to control so much in our lives, you know, and my dad let me do the same thing. You know, you always look back and you think, man, I made so many mistakes. <laughs> Why didn't you stop me? I remember thinking that. And for me, I'm always, as I look back now, being, you know, rounding the bend of 40, I'm super grateful for all my mistakes because I'm, you know, to where it's led me. But it's probably, he probably was really like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I should step in or not. But. I'm just going to let him do it, you know. And yeah, but who could tell you shit anyway? <laughs> That's true. I think if we if, if they tried, they, we probably would have just resented them, you know what I mean? Yeah. So if my boys are anything like me, which, oh, my God, in so many ways they are, at, at some point I'm just going to have to let them, you know, do what you got to do and uh, figure it on out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so – What's let's spend let's start with what's the funniest thing that uh, what's been the funniest thing about parenthood? The haha moments are like every day, but I think for me the funniest things are all of the ironies. Number one yeah. most funny thing is my perception of parenthood and of life in general, pre kids versus post kids. <laughs> yeah already feeling that yeah dude i used to think that i was so busy and i had no time for anything and i look back and i'm like what the hell did i even do with all of my time i was wiping my ass with hundred dollar bills worth of time back before kids <laughs> you know we could we lived a life where we could just like decide to do something and 30 minutes later we're out of the house and doing it and now if you decide to do something you got to decide like days in advance because it takes mm -hmm. you four hours to get out of the house with three kids sometimes <laughs> that's not even too much of an exaggeration um i always say that the best parents are people with no children <laughs> uh, 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 uh. yeah um real quick i got to experience my first uh leaving the house with a child uh yesterday and it's it's really interesting how leaving the house without kids is so much easier i had to you know we had to make sure the backpack was full with stuff we had to put them in a car seat which i had never done that before and luckily carly just let me figure it out she she it was so funny i came running in the house and i was like oh my god that was the hardest thing i've ever done until i found that one button that i was supposed to she goes yeah i know that's why i let you do it yourself but it's just so it's it's like okay this is my life now it's just so different it blows my mind yeah i think there's aspects of enjoyment to be found everywhere if you can um channel the things that you like outside of children and apply them to children so i love gear for example and i mean gosh darn it kids have tons of gear so <laughs> if you can just channel your love of things into what you're doing as a parent everything becomes much more enjoyable <laughs> Words of wisdom from Dr. Marco. Um, what's been the hardest thing so far? Oh, man. So now it's time to get pretty real. Um, Court and I were not planning on having the boys when we did. We were in a position where we really enjoyed each other, and I didn't really feel the need to have children, and really neither did she. And so it was kind of um, – it was unexpected for sure to have children, period. So <clears throat> the hardest things about being a father are putting my goals on hold and 
changing the way that I experience my weekends and shifting around my priorities and being patient. I am a very adventurous man. I need to go on epic adventures and accomplish epic things. Like I need to climb mountains. I need to drive across the country um, riding on my motorcycle off-road. Like I need to hop on a sailboat and go across the Atlantic. There's all these things that I feel like I need to do to experience and express the most me. And at the end of the day, when you're a father, those things just, you can't do them right away unless you don't want to be present for your kids. So playing the long game, kind of like investing with your finances for a better future later, it's taken me as many years as I've been a father to get comfortable and okay with the idea that those things will come for me. They're just not going to come on the timeline that I had projected. Mm. And the best part is, is that if I can execute excellent patience, then ultimately those people that I love most in my life are going to be my adventure partners. Yeah, it's like, are you saying you kind of just have to shift your perspective instead of looking at like what I'm not getting to do now? Is it like what I'm going to get to do later, maybe? Yeah, for me, in terms of what was the hardest, yes, absolutely. Now, that's not to say that there's not things to enjoy in the present moment. There are tons of things to enjoy. But if you were looking forward to becoming a professional, finally having some money in your pocket and some resources to have a track a track day racing schedule, you know, and hit six track days in a year, well, when you've got kids, especially when they're little, it's just not going to happen for you. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to change your timeline of things. The timeline is the big one. Yeah, and I feel like that's – probably the hardest thing to do is is it's almost like it's not that you're giving up what you want because that's how i looked at it i looked at it as like i'm giving up what i want but when i really sit and think about it and let the noise go away and just be with that i'm starting to realize that that i am going to get what i want to i'm going to get to do what i want to do but i just have to wait I have to be patient and it will come and I have to trust my wife trust me and trust our relationship to know that we will get to do what we want to do but man is it hard (laughs) it's the hardest thing I don't I hope that um, those of you guys listening don't let Roy's laughter make light of this situation Mm. because when I say it's the hardest thing it's the hardest thing the hardest thing you'll ever deal with I mean some days I don't think that you're you're being true to yourself if you can't admit to another man that you just imagine jumping on your motorcycle, driving away, and never coming back. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Because it's hard work, man. It's hard. It's demanding. The selflessness is so huge. I mean, the responsibility, the weight of it, mm-hmm. it's a lot, man. And then to, to think that you dedicate so much of your life, your energy, your time in providing for your family – and being present for them and, and giving them a safe house to live in and food to eat and and being there for them as that provider and then not being able to while out the way that you want to as well, it's kinda it just feels unjust in a lot of ways. But <laughs> but that's kinda what the deal is. Mm-hmm. But as long as you can be patient everything will come. Ben Franklin has so many amazing quotes that I just think about all the time. And one of my faves and one that I use the most is um, he that can have patience can have what he will. I know that all of my dreams will come true. And the best part is, is that my family is going to be with me when they do. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, you know, and, and I'm really glad that you were to share just that moment where, you know, looking and just wanting to drive away. Because if there's one thing I feel like sometimes I can't say is that it's too hard or that it's hard and that I want to walk away sometimes, you know, or, or it's like we, we can't say that. We're wrong for saying that. And that's the worst thing is to make yourself wrong for what you're feeling. 
Um, because, you know, you feel what you feel. And that's true. You know, and, and if you can find a way, you know, then when you, if you, if you do run away, you know, then there's another story that we, you know, we'd have to talk about. But I'm just, I'm glad that you just said that, you know, because definitely people think it all the time. You know, we'd be naive to think that nobody thinks that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's part of how men can support each other. And I think the men that do run away don't have the right support men around them. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest blessings that I have in this regard is being a chiropractor. So I get exposed to a lot of people. And some men that I care for in the practice have lived through the whole kid thing. And now they are living their dreams. Later in life, kids are like late high school, college age. And now they're not only going on climbing trips multiple times a year, but holy cow, they get to coordinate their climbing trip with a college visit to their kids and then go climb with their kids. Like, does it get any better? I was just talking to my godfather on the phone. He's got an amazing lake house in Michigan. And I called him, and what was he doing but changing the tires with his son on his son's adventure motorcycle. And I'm like, it doesn't get any better than that. So having those mentors that are older than you, that have been through what you are going through right now, that have made it to that place that you want to get to, is so, so huge. And having that support network and having these candid conversations like, you know, that one patient I was telling you, he's always like, yeah, you're in the thick of it right now, man, but your time will come. Your time will come. And that's like all he really needed to say to me. And I know it's real because he's there and he did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I keep bringing up all the stuff that I want to keep talking about. <laughs> um, so do you think friendships are important? For adult friendships, adult male friendships are important to you being a father? Does that help you be a better father or a more present father? Oh, absolutely, man. Community is everything. Mm -hmm. The hard part is that a lot of times um, the friends that we were young, single with, we have children at different times. Mm -hmm. And one of the hardest things is um, being a father and having friends who are not fathers because then they don't understand really what you're going through. And I don't want to be in this like elitist club of if you don't have kids, we can't hang out. But mm, not for any reason philosophically, but for practical reasons, a lot of times it just doesn't work out to spend significant amounts of time and energy and heart and headspace with people that don't also have children. Mm. And it's just logistics. It's yeah. not that I don't want to. Um, you just can't. So I got buddies that like ride motorcycles every weekend, and they're always texting me like, hey, ride this Sunday? And I'm like, um, home project this Sunday? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they send me pictures of their motorcycle ride. I send them pictures of the fireplace mantle that I just renovated. Um, you can keep those friendships, but you just got to realize that they're going to change in their dynamic. Mm-hmm. So having a community of people that have children, that understand what it's like, that understand like you don't s- set a time to get together. You say, okay, after the afternoon nap. And whenever that happens for your kids, then you get together at that point. And they understand because they go through it like you do. Um, so having that community of like-minded parents that share interests with mm-hmm. that's everything yeah the worst thing would be to, to try to do this all by yourself <laughs> absolutely um you know i was lucky with my friends is that i had a couple guys that you know we had kids staggered and my my buddy joe for example he has two kids one uh, old boy who's 10 and a girl who's like seven or eight and so i we kind of got a crash course in friendship you know, while he was doing that. Um, but he was also of the mindset that friendships were just as important. And he would always tell me, he was like, things like, you know, I want to hang out with you. I just can't hang out with you right now. And if we need to, if we need to hang out, we have to try to schedule stuff. And I can't, you can't come to me in the morning and say, I want to do something tonight. You know, those are harder for me. But, but, and so I got that, and so I've already kind of understood that, and I, I think sometimes 
people without kids or people that aren't married, in a way they almost take it personally that you can't hang out with them. When in reality, you want to hang out with them. <laughs> That's all you want to do. All you want to do. You just have to. It just. It's like we're saying. You just have to shift your perspective, and it has to just be at a different timeline. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So what's been the easiest thing? If there's anything that's easy. This is going to sound really cliche, but the easiest thing is loving them. Aww. Really? Wish I had a button to do the aww. Aww. But yeah, yeah. Good. Especially with Anna. Man, I um, I thought that the daddy's girl thing was kind of like whatever. They're just, I don't know. I didn't think it was a real thing, but holy crap is it different. Yeah. Like, I love my boys so much, and I'm so proud of them, but I'm like in love with that little girl man it is so different like she can do absolutely no wrong my patience has no bounds for her whereas the boys have zero patience for her. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> you just feel differently about them so <laughs> loving them has been the easiest thing and um it's easier to get excited about like holidays things that were kind of like getting stale in my adult life like christmas okay christmas is coming yay we decorate the house, okay, and then we open the presents, awesome, and then focusing on the wrong things. But, man, when you have little kids and Christmas is real again and now it's your privilege to create that, it's like, man, that's exciting. And, like, birthdays are so awesome and they're looking forward to Easter for months and it's just, like, it's so great. Um, and some of the most enjoyable things – not just the easiest things, but the most enjoyable things is that I get to relive my own childhood through my sons. Nice. And what's great is that they got all these retro shows, so like Voltron is back on. Nice. Um, they're into Power Rangers, Legos, Jurassic Park. All these remakes of these movies are because all of everybody that's in our generation as parents want to do all of that stuff all over again. I mean, Star Wars, they restarted the whole the whole thing. Like, how awesome is that? Yeah. And my sons and I get to fight with lightsabers. It's exactly what I always wanted to do as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Except now I've got resources. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, you want to go nuts at the toy store? We don't do that all the time um, or really even often, but like – it's just it's just awesome to be able to relive um, all of my favorite parts of childhood and share that with my sons. I love it. Yeah, I'm super excited for that part too. Um, mine is more the comic books. I've, I've kept I have this long box of all my comics and uh, I kind of have hid it from myself so I forget about it in the hopes that he's gonna find it, you know, kind of that that thing. Um, but I'm like that with all the Marvel movies. You know, it's like as a kid was like, God, I wish they made a movie with Iron Man and Wolverine and all this stuff. Uh -huh. And now it's like, oh, my gosh, they have. It's like, <laughs> yes. And yeah. then in, and then in a few years, I'll get to, uh, you know, show him, you know, show him all those movies. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, let's keep it rolling. Um, anything you'd do over right now? Every single day. <laughs> so I really had to put some thought into this answer um i think i've experienced my most profound and poignant regrets in my high school wrestling career and at that point i decided that i was never going to not pour everything i have into something that i care about and if i'm doing it i care about it mm -hmm. so i can't fool myself into thinking that i don't and fatherhood would be the ultimate sin against that so I don't really have any big regrets that I would do over, but ultimately every single day. The days as a father where at the end of the day you're putting your head on your pillow and you say to yourself, I fathered so well today. I was such a good dad. Are going to be completely overwhelmed by the days that you think to yourself, man, I could have been more patient in that mm. situation. Man, I could have handled that particular thing differently man i wish i'd been a little bit more kind or loving those days are going to be the majority of the days and we can't do any day over ever but if you care about who you want to be as a man and as a father and if you care about your children you can take those moments as you're putting your head on your pillow at night and pay them forward to the next day 
but each day moving forward, you're better than you were the day before. Mm. Wow. Right on. Um, anything, what scares you? And not like what has scared you, or is there things that you, like the things that keep you up at night thinking about being a dad? Is there anything there? Well, just like I was talking about regret in general. I don't ever want to look back and say that I wasted this time. Because for all of the things that are the hardest, like we just talked about in terms of <clears throat> rearranging your timeline, you got to realize that this time in your life is never going to come back around. Mm -hmm. You're only a father once. And your children are only the age that they're going to be for a fleeting moment in time. And every single day, they're like brand new people. Mm -hmm. So I really want to just be present and enjoy my children for who they are and what they do at every single moment in time. And I just want to know that, looking back, that I played all out. And I loved them as best as I could. And I enjoyed them with every breath. Nice. Um, and I'm going to insert this one here now. Um, so you're a chiropractor, and being a chiropractor, you, the viewer view of wellness, is definitely a lot different, has a different mindset than than most people. Um, so how has being a chiropractor helped shape or change how you are as a dad? Hit you with that one. Yeah, see, I didn't have time to prepare for that one, so now I gotta think because I don't wanna, I don't wanna sprinkle um, fairy dust on you guys and not give you something real. <laughs> nah, man, it's super real right now. It's good. Well, the hardest part about being a chiropractor is communication. I think that's the hardest part of being a doctor in general because the root word doctor comes from Latin. It means teacher. And at the end of the day, if you can't teach somebody something new and different about how they live their life or how they approach their health, you've failed. You're providing mm -hmm. some sort of um, commodity. You're not changing lives. And that's a heavy responsibility. But then you also got to realize that while you are absolutely responsible for the process of doing your best to educate somebody, for exposing them to the truth and asking the hard questions, you are not responsible for the outcome. So I don't sit and think too long and hard about, oh my gosh, what if my boys turn out like this or that or the other thing? They're their own people and they've mm -hmm. got their lives to live. So I think where it's been the most beneficial is applying that rule of, I am absolutely responsible for the process of being a good father, for the process of disciplining them the right way so that they learn the value of right versus wrong, kindness versus, um, I guess, meanness, mm -hmm. learning the value of a dollar and working hard and earning things. What they do with all of those lessons is not up to me. So mm -hmm. detaching myself from the outcome and completely attaching myself to the process has been the most valuable part of where I can take who I am as a doctor and a chiropractor and apply that to the people I love the most. That's awesome. Do you think when you like in your practice that you have to detach yourself from that as well? Like you're giving your patients all of these things and what they do with it is entirely up to them? That's been the hardest part of being a chiropractor. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, being in healthcare, you got to be a freaking nutball <laughs> because you're engaged in the hardest thing you can possibly be engaged in, and that's helping other people. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. ultimately, you can't do it for anybody. None of us can do it to do it alone. But nobody can do it for us. You can just stop mm. and think about that for a second. Yeah. So we need community. We need guidance. We need accountability. But at the same time, Roy, you can't wake up at 4.30 and get to the gym for me at 5. Yeah. You can't eat the things that I need to eat to keep myself healthy. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, as a doctor, you got to just be a very good leader and a very good communicator. And in the in the pursuit of excellence in that, you give a shit. Yeah. And I care a lot personally about everybody that I take care of. 
And the hardest thing is when you know that you can help somebody, you know exactly what they got to do to help themselves, and they just choose, and I'm going to say this in a funny way, choose to not to. Yeah. And it's been the hardest part of being a chiropractor and where I've had to experience and engage in the most growth and just letting that go and letting people be on their journey and respecting them even if I don't agree with them at all. So is it safe to say you've already been training to be a father as a chiropractor? (laughs) As a doctor and a chiropractor, yes. As a business owner, no. (laughs) Man, I walk into the practice and I've got three grown individuals who are extremely skilled and adept at following my orders. (laughs) They anticipate all of my needs. They work with me to accomplish the mission, and I go home, and nobody is helping me accomplish the mission. (laughs) My boys don't give a rat's butt about my needs. They don't care about the mission. They're doing their own thing. It is like the biggest juxtaposition. I always joke with Courtney because um, we don't see patients on Friday, and Fridays is like my first day that I get to be more home and more present. So Friday is like reintegration of papa into the family day where i experience all of the frustration of like in practice four minutes is a productive amount of time Uh and at home four hours can just get thrown down the drain with whatever so (laughs) just just making that shift is always a challenge for me on a on a weekly basis (laughs) yeah shout out to your cas man (laughs) oh my gosh yeah rachel casey kalina you guys are the bomb. Love working with you. <laughs> All right. So last couple ones, I'll kind of combine it. Um, how do you view your role as a dad? And then what does fatherhood mean to you? So I view my role as a father, as the provider and the protector, the teacher, and the guide, the role model, the coach, and hopefully I want to be the confidant. I want my children to know that they can come to me with things that are hard to talk about because I didn't really, and it wasn't for any fault of my parents. They never judged me. But I just never felt like I could come to them with stuff that I thought was real and hard because I just didn't, I didn't realize at the time that they had been through everything. But I just want to be able to share my faults and my mistakes with my children as much as I share the how-to. I want to also share the realness of, how I did not, and um, that they can come to me with, with things, and we can talk about them, and I'm, they're not going to get in trouble because the biggest stuff you can't. You got to have that open door, and talk to them about the real stuff. And I'm talking like the real stuff, like you know, money, sex, marriage, jobs, like substances. I mean, that stuff is hard to deal with as a kid if you've got nobody to talk to, and who better to talk to than the person that loves you most in the entire world? I just want them to be able to talk to me about that. Um, And fatherhood means to me that I have the privilege of stewarding new life on this planet, to share everything that I've learned, to share all of my hopes and dreams, my aspirations, not to impose them on my children, but just to share things with them. I mean, we've inherited an, an amazing existence here. And ultimately, Earth is either heaven or hell, depending on how we are in the midst of what we do every day. Mm-hmm. And so being able to shepherd in the next generation um, and help them here, help them learn the ropes, so to speak, is an amazing honor. Awesome, man. Um, so just wrapping it up, man, I just wanted to... Uh Thank you for coming on and sharing this. I don't take it lightly that someone would want to come up here and and be open and honest about their life and then allow me to project that out into the world. So that's a big deal. So thank you for doing that. I definitely, you've helped me in my perspective and it's been, I've learned some things that I could take back to my, you know, my fatherhood and, um, it's been fun. Uh, before we go, is there any last thing you want to end on? Any last words? That sounds sad. Like last any, any final remarks? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, this was an absolute pleasure. My hope that um, in you and I sharing today that we can continue the dialogue between men and fathers to come together as a community and yeah. be more than what we are mm -hmm. today. And I loved being on, on here. Um, at the end of the day, fathers have a very special role. And rather than reject that and fear that for whatever reason, but just to embrace it, I hope is what we can move toward. Nice. Well, thank you guys for listening. As always, you can hear me on podbean.com, Spotify, YouTube, and Google Play. Be excellent to each other. Go forth and be awesome. We'll see you next time.